So Luke chapter 24, we're going to start um, in verse 13 today. I'll read that now if you're, if you're there. Turn, turn with me now. If you don't have it in your Bible, I'm going to go ahead and start. Verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to, the con to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, Jesus. Then he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, and they were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. He was known to them in the breaking of bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, see my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, 
These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him. Another translation says they fell on their knees and worshipped him. And returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of God. Jesus, what, a, what, a, what amazing, amazing truths. What, what an am, amazing reality that you are. You are super reality. We can't understand our life apart from you, God. Pray you would settle upon us now and we would have ears and eyes to see and hear all that the Spirit is saying to the churches. This church, Soul City Church. Be with us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have the eyes to see this, if you have the eyes to see it, you will know this. Jesus is here with us right now. Jesus is here with us right now. As real as the disciples touching his hands and his side and his feet. As real as Jesus eating a fish, a broiled fish. Why did he pick a fish? As real as he's eating a fish as the disciples watch, Jesus is here. He's with us. Do you see him? Do you know him? Where you can recognize his presence in and amongst his people. I think Luke 24 uh, this passage, it serves a few different purposes. The first one is this. It confirms and further demonstrates the nature of Christ's resurrection. This is important. He had a physical body. Luke's a doctor, and he sees the significance of the physiological proof of Jesus' resurrection. It's important for him, and he wants it to be important for us, that Jesus physically rose from the grave. And what that means is, Christianity is not this spiritual high and this metaphorical reality that we live in that hopes for the best. Christianity is historical and fact. Bank your life upon it. That's what the physical resurrection of Christ means. He wants us to see the physicality of the resurrection because it's wonderful news for us. Wonderful. Jesus is alive according to Luke here. He wants you to see that. He wants you to know he really is alive. His sacrifice really lives and works beyond the grave because he lives beyond the grave. It really speaks an eternal word over us as God's children because he is alive. And all the powers and all the dominions and all the rules 
and all the reigns and all the kingdoms, they all bow their knee to the crucified, living Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Jesus is alive. Luke wants you to know that. That's one of his purposes here. The second purpose, though, I think Luke has in mind in this chapter. This chapter prepares the disciples and the church and us. It prepares the disciples for the coming of the Spirit. Jesus tells the disciples here in this passage, wait on the Spirit. Wait for Him. Verse 49, it specifically says this, Behold, look, listen to what I'm saying. That's what that means. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, I want to just... I want you to listen to what, what the Bible says about this power. Here's a few things it says. Christianity is a, is a movement of the power of God in your life. Nothing less than that. It's the power of God coming upon you in a supernatural, indescribable, incomprehensible way. Listen to what the New Testament says about this power of God in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, You shall receive power from the Holy Spirit when it comes upon you. 1 Corinthians 4 says the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. 2 Corinthians 12 says, I will boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Christianity is about power. Power to live a life that glorifies Jesus. Power over your sin. Power over the grave, even, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 says, Consider... What is the exceeding greatness of his power that is at work in us? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. It's at work in us who believe. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. It says that now to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or we think. Ephesians 6 says be strong in the Lord and be strong in the power of his might. 2 Timothy 3 it says that some hold the form of religion, but they deny its power. The converse of that would be that true Christianity is in the power of God. It's in the power of God. What is this power? This is the power. It's the presence of the living Christ dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. The presence of the living Christ dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit where our whole selves are increasingly conformed to the image of Christ. Our affections are awakened. And we are awake to the glory of Christ and of God. And our lives are increasingly being leveraged for His purposes and His purposes alone. Is that, is that your experience of Christianity? Or are you in the camp of 2 Timothy 3 that says you hold a form of religion but you deny it. You deny the power of it. This is what Christianity is. The presence of the living Christ dwelling in and among his people. But the third point I think Luke makes, and this is where we'll spend probably the remainder of our time, is Luke 24 models for the church and it models for the disciples how the presence of the living Christ will continue through the age of the Spirit. He models and shows us somewhat of a framework for how Jesus is going to be present to and among his people in a real way. Jesus will be present with his disciples and in a real, and this is what's important, 
The presence of Jesus is not just real, but it's immediate. That's what's important. Meaning, it's here. Not just there one day. Not just in eternity when we're with Him. Luke 24 sets us up, especially as we go into Acts, for a real immediate presence of God in our midst. Luke 24 is a model for us to help us understand the ways in which Jesus is actually, really, right now, present to and with his church. How do you initially respond to that? What's your initial response when we use this language that feels mystical in nature that the resurrected Jesus, though not here bodily, is here with us today in some ways that are better than if he were physically here? What's your initial response to that? Does that make you uncomfortable to talk about the Christian faith in that way? Probably does. There's, there's, There's a mysterious component to the presence of Jesus here that is hard to articulate. It's hard to communicate. Does it make you uncomfortable? I think it's important to locate this passage in its context for for you to understand really what it is that, that I mean when I say this is a model for us. Luke 24 is after the crucifixion, right? So two weeks ago we looked at this whole crucifixion narrative and the chapter begins with the resurrection. Jesus dies on the cross. He says it is finished. He commits his spirit to the Lord. They rest on the Sabbath day and the next day he's not in the tomb because he rose from the grave. So the setting is Jesus after he rose from the grave, after he resurrected, but before he ascended. Two separate parts, two important parts to understand about the Christian faith. Resurrection and ascension are not the same thing. So sitting right in the middle of this, the setting of this, of this chapter is Jesus after he resurrected, but before he ascended. And in fact, he ascends to heaven as the book concludes in the final verses. We see that in the last few verses here. He led them out as far as Bethany. Acts 1 says to the Mount of Olives, which are pretty much synonymous. They're really close right next to one another. And he lifted his hands and he blessed them. Could you imagine that? Me and the kids were reading this this past week, and that that struck me that Jesus blessed them. Could you imagine being the the recipient of that? That would have been incredible. And it says that while he blessed them, he parted from them into heaven. He was carried up into heaven. This is what our kids thought was amazing. Jesus' body lifted up into the heavens. That's pretty amazing. That's what happens here. And then the disciples return to Jerusalem. So Jesus ascends to the right hand of God right here. And if you're you're familiar with the book of Acts, you will also note that Luke tells a similar story of Jesus' ascension there. Right at the very beginning of Acts, he picks up with this exact same thing. That Jesus ascends to the right hand of God, and that sets the stage for what Pentecost would be. Pentecost is this event in the history of the church where the Holy Spirit comes from heaven and he empowers believers for life and mission until Jesus' return, physical return. So I think we can look at Luke 24 here in light of that as somewhat of a transition passage from resurrection to ascension, from resurrection to ascension and then to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit enablement and empowerment in our life. Jesus rose from the grave, and he is preparing the disciples here for what will happen next. What's going to happen after this? And if this is true, which I think it is, that this is a transition period passage, 
then the events are very interesting when you consider what he does all throughout this chapter. I think Luke is intentionally demonstrating what life with the resurrected Jesus will look like as he sends his spirit to his disciples and continues to live in and among them, even to this day. And Luke is showing us three things in this passage. Here's my three major points I want us to see here today. And I hope that you just have a cl- so much clarity to see the presence of Christ in your life. Number one, Jesus is present with us through his word. Two, Jesus is present with us at the table. I'm going to go back through these. Three, Jesus is present with us through the Holy Spirit. Now you may say, how and why are you dividing up the presence of Christ? Like, can Christ be divided? Paul asked that question in Corinthians. No. The answer is no, he can't. The word and the table, the breaking of bread, and the spirit are interconnected. And this is what I mean. You cannot have the ministry of the word that's revealed in Luke 24 apart from the Holy Spirit. It's pointless. And the table, the breaking of bread, has no power apart from the proclamation of the word and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It's pointless. And the Spirit, specifically, uses the word and the table, the breaking of bread, in a particular way in the life of the believer. It's the very tools that God has. It's the very words that He has spoken. In other words, Jesus is present to His church, to us, where the Spirit, the Word, and the table have a place. And where they have a place in the community of faith, Jesus is really there, Christian. Jesus is really there. Take heart, O Christian, who feels alone. Take heart, O Christian, who, man, every single day you feel like you're, you're follow, going the opposite direction of, of Christian conformity to Christ. What this shows us is that the presence of Christ is not theoretical, but that Jesus is really among us. Now listen to this. It's also important to note that this passage is specifically in the context of a community of disciples. What do I mean by that? This passage assumes a gathering community of disciples. This is because Jesus came and he purchased a people, not so much individuals. He came so that he would save his church, the family of God, which brings me to a really important point. Jesus is everywhere because he is God, but he is specifically present and among the church. The problem with our contemporary and Western thinking about Christianity is this idea that the Christian life is about me and Jesus. It's about me and Jesus. And that category is foreign to the Bible, it's foreign to the scriptures. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus is actively moving and present with people, not a person. All throughout the scriptures. And the isolated accounts where individuals encounter Christ are always in the context of Jesus, through that encounter, drawing people into community. Always. You want to know Christ? You want to experience the power of his presence in your life? It happens in the local church happens in the local body. And this is important to understand what's happening in this chapter. The local church is ground zero for Jesus. Is where he reigns, abides, and lives. This is where he is. And this is where he is 
even though the local church is so messy and so unhealthy at times, it's still where he is. And the reason why I bring that point out right now is because it's really important to understand how Jesus is present to us and how that only happens in the context of community. Jesus is present to us as his brothers and his sisters, as God's children, the community of believers, or what, I, what I'm going to call it today, you'll see when we get into it a little bit, what the local church really is, it's a fellowship of the word. It's a fellowship of the word of God. The only way we can truly understand how Jesus is present among us is to make sure we locate that in the context of community. It's the only way we can understand what Jesus is saying right here in this chapter. And this is what I mean. You can't fully understand how the presence of Jesus is in the Word unless you understand the Word through the context of the local church. You, you can't understand the table and the breaking of bread that God calls us to outside of the context of the local church. Paul's emphasis on the communal nature of the Lord's Supper, the communal nature of baptism itself, is essential. It's the essence of what he's talking about. You can't understand the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit because so much of his activity in your life happens in and between fellow believers. So much of what the Holy Spirit is really doing in you has everything to do with the communal aspect of it. So this is what I want to do over the next few moments. I, I want to talk about how Jesus is present through his church, through the Word, the table, and the Spirit. The presence of Jesus in the Word, consider that. A, a way that you could sum that up in a word is the church is evangelical. That's what that means, is the Word. Evangelical means the Word. Luke 24, uh, verses 25 through 27, this is what it says. Listen to these words. I'm going to read three different references from, the, from chapter 24 right now. Verse 25 says, And he said to them, O foolish one, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that, the, that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And this is what he did. Beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. For Jesus to reveal himself to these disciples... He turned them to the Word of God. Turned them to the Word of God. Verse 32, it says, Did our hearts not burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while Jesus opened to us the Scriptures? And go further into verses 44 through 47. He, in a sense here, which is a topic for another day, sums up all of Scripture. He says, this is what has been written in the Scripture. He uses the, the words, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the grave and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus opened up the Scriptures so that the disciples would understand and know him. Jesus didn't draw near to these disciples at Emmaus in a rushing wind and mighty, magnificent portrayal of his kingship, his lordship, and his current reigning above all powers and dominions, he turned to his word. And this is why. Because through the scriptures, we know God. Through the scriptures, we come to know him in all of his fullness. 
What role does the Bible have in your life? What role does the scriptures that have been proclaimed for centuries and centuries and centuries have in your life? While I say that, it's also important to acknowledge that there is a major danger in an intellectualism in the church. What Jesus is showing us here presses us beyond intellectual engagement. What Jesus reveals to us here in this passage is showing us how we know God, we know God in the Word of God. We don't just know about Him, but we come to know Him in the Word. It is, it is through the Word that we actually encounter what it means to abide in Him, to live with Him, to walk with Him, not to know about Him, not just to be able to piece together a beautiful, systematic, and biblical theology that you can hang your hat on at the end of the day. Jesus uses the Word of God here because it is through the Word that they know Him, that they come to see Him in all of His beauty, in all of His wonder. And the church is somewhat of a fellowship of the Word. What I mean is that the church is a place where a community of believers gather that not only reads the Bible, but the words of the Bible, the Word of God in the Bible becomes and increasingly abides in us as a community. It abides in us. I want you to think about this language here. John 15, 7, one of my favorite verses. When our prayer ministry was thriving a couple years ago, this was kind of the basis for that. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Listen to what it's saying. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, what I say to you, what I have said, the word of God is God's words. It's his language. It's what he's used. And the scripture says that the word should abide in us. Notice how this in this verse, Jesus is presently abiding. There's an abiding with God. But there's an inextricable link between the Word of God and the presence of Christ. Do you want to know Christ? Know the Word. He's in the Word. But on the flip side, consider this. When you know the Word, you can have a real felt presence of Christ. Why is the Bible important? Because it is through the Scriptures that we see Him. It is through the Bible, that Jesus is actively, presently with us. We actually get to behold Him and fellowship with Him through the Scriptures because He is the Word of God. He's the culmination of it. He's everything that's, every word is trending towards Him. Every sentence is about Him. Every proclamation, every chapter has His love all over it. It's about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And the local church is the fellowship of the Word. This is what I mean. I, I haven't seen this recently until... Well, I haven't seen this until recently. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It's one of the, it's one of the passages um, that our church has been built off of. And in verse 42, it says this. The disciples, after they came to Christ and they had the Holy Spirit, they ascended Christ, went to the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit came down to dwell among his believers 3,000 people were baptized. They repented of their sins and they were saved. And upon that profession of faith, 
what it meant for them to believe the gospel, it says that they gathered together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And this is what is really interesting about this passage. It's not so much about these four things in isolation, okay? It's not just that they devoted themselves to teaching and then the next day they would pray and the next day they would break bread around the table. It's not so much just a fellowship of believers that gather around periodically, but what this is showing us is a fellowship of believers that gathers around and in the word. The emphasis is not so much on the gathering, it very much includes that. You can't live the Christian life out apart from the gathering of the local church. You need to see that. The significance of the local body in your life is more important than you could ever know. And it's way more important than the Western individualism tells us. But the emphasis here is not so much on the gathering of believers, so it includes that, but it's much more on the participating together with others in the new reality that the Word of God is pushing us toward. It's a fellowship around the Word. It is relationship built off of and pushing us towards what the Word's telling us to be and live like and walk in. Here's an example of the fellowship of the Word that I think is specifically talking about. What does it look for the church to be evangelical in that Jesus' presence is here through the Word? Here's a good example. Look, there's people across our community who attend church regularly, even weekly. But the number drastically decreases when you begin talking about those who actually have a place in that community. If you knew the conversations and times I've met with people all, all throughout Gainesville and the surrounding area, people tell me they don't, they don't want a place among the community. They, they want to go. They want to receive on the back row of the church. They want to walk out and not be known. The number drastically decreases when you begin to talk about and ask the question of who actually has a place there. There's, there's, a, there's a place. There's a place where they belong. You know, there's many across the world who attend events. There's even fewer who belong to a family. And this belonging, if it is a belonging in a fellowship that is around and for the Word of God, it doesn't just listen to preaching. It doesn't just read the Bible. But it strives alongside others to see the truths of Scriptures preached and cultivated in the hearts of the community. It's where the word becomes active. And it's where Jesus presently is reigning among his body. The fellowship of the word doesn't just gather to sing. They don't just gather to sit and receive. To belong to a fellowship of the word, the local church, is to participate in worship where they contribute to it. Their presence is not arbitrary. Their desire to go to church on a Sunday is not random and trivial, and their desire to read the Bible in a quiet time is not just for them. But a fellowship of the word that this church was in Acts chapter 2, that Luke 24 is pushing us towards to experience Jesus in it, is not just a gathering to sing, but where everyone comes to participate in worship by bringing encouragements, by bringing spiritual gifts. We all encountered some of that this morning. People praying and leading, people serving setting up chairs, all the things. 
But I, I want you to also see this. Notice how Jesus talks about the Scripture and his role in it in Luke 24, uh, verse 44 through 47. I won't read it. But I want you specifically to see verse 46 says, he was saying to the disciples, thus it is written. And then he starts telling us about himself. And he says this because all of the Bible is about him. You want to know how to read the scriptures? You read it in light of the fact that Christ suffered on the third day. He rose from the dead. And now repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. What Jesus is saying is that this is what the Bible is about. It's about me. You know when you get lost in the weeds in the Leviticus ceremonial instructions? You know when you read through the book of Chronicles and you're like, just one book earlier you told me this exact same thing. Why is it here twice? Or the countless times where you're depressed reading about these kings who rebelled against the Lord. Or the impossible to understand book of Revelation. Jesus is saying in verse 46, it's all about me. It's all about me. You want to know how to read the scriptures? Read it in light of me. Know that every word is dripping with my presence on it. Know that every word is saturated by the love of God in Christ. Do you come, do you come to the word on a regular basis with that type of expectation? Do you come to corporate worship this morning realizing that we proclaim and we preach and we believe in a living Savior and expect that His reality is going to be opened up to us in our hearts as the Scriptures are read and preached. Do you come with that type of expectation? I pray that God would do something in our, in our midst where the Word would quicken its work and prove effective in our lives. Not just for the sake of being able to answer all the questions on the test, but that the Word would become effective in your life where you get to experience the living Christ through it as these disciples of Emmaus did. One more thing it says here, though. Luke 24, verses 30 and 31. Jesus is talking to these disciples to Emmaus. They're going to Emmaus. And they invite Jesus into their home. Jesus acts like he's walking on past it, but he knows they're going to do it. So he, in, he accepts the invitation. Here's these disciples who are walking with Jesus, and Jesus is with them, but they don't have the eyes to see them. They don't realize who it is that they're actually inviting into their home. They're inviting the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. So as he's talking to them about the Scriptures, they invite him over. And I want you to notice here, this is important to see. He was invited over to their house, right? He invites them, or he is invited by these disciples to their house. But if you look at the scripture, it's actually Jesus who hosts the meal. What does it say here in verse 30 and 31? That he was sitting at table with them and he, Jesus, took the bread. He, Jesus, is the one who blessed it. And he's the one who served it and gave it to them. And Luke says that it is through this meal, this breaking of bread, that they come to know who Jesus is. Their eyes are open. And verse 35 says this, the, the disciples are talking to Jesus, or talking about Jesus to the, to the other apostles. 
when they returned to Jerusalem, and it says this, Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Through the association with the word and through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we come and we partake of things like baptism, when we come and we, we partake of the table, we come at the table with Jesus, Jesus is made known to us. And the reality is, is there's, there's a lot of us in our church, we, we talk regularly about the Lord's Supper and how significant it is. And there, there's a lot in our body, among our body, maybe even some here, who are, they're honestly afraid to come to the table. They're, they, they believe the gospel, but man, they don't feel worthy to come. That is exactly who should come. That is exactly who's opening up an invitation to come and receive the table. In the context of corporate worship, I hope you can see that what is really actually being revealed here is a vision for what it looks like for God's people to gather. In the context of corporate worship, when the word is preached, the word is given physicality and sacramentality when you come to the table. Not only is it proclaimed, but it is felt and it is received in a real way. Jesus, though he was staying in someone else's house, was the host of his meal. And that's what happens with us every single week. Every single week, Tyler does his thing. He, you know, gets the, gets the juice poured. He's got the, I don't even know who made these wonderful, beautiful wooden bowls. They're amazing. Wood, wood bowls at the table, they're incredible. And we get all the things together and it feels super mundane and super ordinary and we come and we partake of it for another week. But if this passage reveals anything, it reveals this. Jesus is there. He's there. Now does it become the elements? No. But through the Holy Spirit, you are growing in Christ through these ordinary mundane routines. You're growing. And God is, in his, in his providence over your life and in His providence over our church, has given us these, what feel like oftentimes, empty and trivial practices. But what's happening is we are being confronted with the living Christ over and over again. At the table, we fellowship with Christ. The table signifies the presence of Christ. And I would even say there's a missional component here when we consider what it is that is happening here and in Acts chapter 2. We read earlier in Acts 2 that there was a, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Now that most definitely means the Lord's Supper. Celebrating the Lord's Supper in the context of the local church 100% means that. But beyond that, Luke wants you to see so clearly that the dynamic of the kingdom of God is house to house Table to table. In the book of Luke, you guys have heard me say this multiple times, pretty much the whole book of Luke, Jesus is either going or coming from a mill. Because so much of what we want to be as a church, so much of what Jesus has in mind for his local church happens around the table. It happens around the table. And when you look at this particular passage, that table is not just a moment where we each have a little piece of bread, but there's much more of a feast in mind here. There's much more of a regular partaking with one another around the table in community and fellowship and acceptance and belonging and family. And it is in those moments 
is you open up your home to that new church member. It is in those moments when you open up your home to that person who honestly you don't like, but y'all go to the same church and you're getting over yourself and you're going to make it happen. It's in those moments that the living Christ is present. He's with you. I want to ask you, how could you open up your home? How could you open up your life to other believers? But beyond that, how can you welcome people into the kingdom of God through an open table? How can you invite those in our city and in our community to come and experience the goodness of Christ by the bread that you break over a table of fellowship? Think about that. I think I heard someone use the language recently of back in the 70s, we were in a slow burn revival. I thought that was interesting. I think what a slow burn revival would look like for Solo is when every single one of our homes have open door policies. I think that's the revival God has in mind. Because the home is such a sign of much deeper realities about your heart posture. How you open up your home, how you open up your life to others, has everything to do with the kingdom of God. And Jesus is beckoning you to invite him to the table so that he can host you. The last thing I'll say here, all this happens, these signs these moments that Luke is clearly wanting us to see. The age of the Spirit is going to come and the way that the Holy Spirit is going to testify and, and bring the present living Christ to us is through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how it ends, verse 49. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says that there's going to be a day when you're clothed with power from one high. We've already talked about this. What this ultimately means, what I ultimately mean here when I say that the presence of Jesus is through the, the, the Spirit is this. Corporate worship, your life, our church, when we read the Word in these contexts, when we come to the table, and whatever, thing, whatever else we do, we do everything in our lives praying this, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. The Bible assumes a life, the life of the Christian, is going to be a constant relationship with the Holy Spirit. It assumes it. Christianity is only in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is only in that. Take Galatians, for example. Galatians 5, 6. Galatians is our book of the Holy Spirit. In any case, if anyone wants to learn about him, go read the book of the Galatians. But take it for an example. Galatians 5 and 6, it says, keep in step with the Spirit. Look, don't want to do anything else outside of Jesus moving in and through you at every moment. Keep in step with Him. The, the, the Greek word is actually very militant in nature. It's like this, you know how a formation with a, with a, with a military, I don't even know, squadron. Is that the word? Unit. Right? Like a military squadron will move, you know, like step, you know, it'll, it'll keep in step. And like when they're, that marine squadron, when they're, when they're in sync, golly, I can't, I can't recover from that. When they're in sync, it's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. That's what Paul is saying here. Be in sync with the Holy Spirit. Keep in step with Him. Be led by Him. Live in Him. Have your being among Him. Paul in the New Testament, he assumes 
for the Christian, a life that is lived in and by the Holy Spirit where Jesus is with us, he's helping us, he's pointing us to have, a, to have our attention on him, he's actively giving us affections to love him, do you ask for him to come and fill you more and more? Do you ask, when's the last time you asked for more of the Holy Spirit? If we're honest, many of us, when we hear talk about the Holy Spirit, or you hear me using the language here of we have, we have the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, we get really nervous about that. Rightfully so in some ways. This language of Pentecost calls our attention to just maybe some extreme abuses of, of what the Holy Spirit is and does. Oftentimes, our Christian life and the hesitancy that we have is coming from the abuses that we experience more than a biblical picture of how the Holy Spirit moves on a regular basis. And although it's important for me to acknowledge this, it is important to acknowledge that there, there are abuses and that there are ways that you can move beyond what it is that the Bible is calling us to hit here. But it is much more important for me not to say that, but to say this. The Scripture calls you to live your life by the Holy Spirit. It calls you to live your life by the Holy Spirit. Ask Him how you should live. Ask Him to convict your heart of sin. Ask Him to draw near to you, and He will. Ask Him to give you spiritual gifts that edify the church. Wake up in the morning and depend upon the Holy Spirit. Open the Word every day. Ask the Holy Spirit to implant the Word of God into your heart. When, when we read John 15, that's what's at, at stake there. John 15, abide in me, and, and as my words abide in you, what it has in mind is not just that you would recite Bible verses, but that your life, everything about you, through the power of Christ in you, in the Holy Spirit, would be about and overflowing from the reality of the Word. Jesus, if you could sum up, the Christian faith, if you could sum up the Bible in a sense, is that is what Jesus has already said, that Jesus was crucified, dead, raised, ascended to the right hand, and now we proclaim forgiveness and forgiveness of sin to all the earth, calling people to repent, coming underneath this lordship of Christ, right? The Holy Spirit is who helps us do that, helps us implant that word, that word, into our hearts, into our soul, into, the, into our life, into the life of our local church on a very deep level. You cannot live the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit. You need Him. Maybe you've neglected Him. He's a person who feels. It's important. Who is the living presence of Jesus here with us now. And if that is you, I would invite you right now Maybe right now you could close your eyes and just open up your heart to God. Open up your heart to Him. Repent of the things that have caused you to be hesitant towards Him. Ask Him that He would give you more faith. Ask Him to fill you with the power of God. I think I can say this with confidence. Some of us actively and regularly quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. Some of us regularly quench the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying to us, 1 Thessalonians 5, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not quench it. And in Ephesians 4, right? How we talk to one another back into Ephesians 4, if anybody's done any marriage counseling, you know this is the go-to. This is a go-to passage. Because the number one issue in marriages is communication. 
the back end of Ephesians 4, it says, you know, be tenderhearted toward one another, forgive one another. And then in the middle of all of this talk around how we talk and how we react with one another, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve Him. Because what is on the line at every moment in your life is a way that you would turn from Him and turn to your own devices. So Paul's calling us and beckoning us into this life of, no, live by Him. Walk with Him. Every moment, live with Him. What is this life in the Spirit? There's two things I'll say. What is the experience of the Spirit? There's an experience of the Spirit that I think we need to define really clearly. And I want to do this now because I think some of us in our church need to be overwhelmed by how active the Holy Spirit is right now. And I think that would lead to like what uh, um, Jody was saying earlier, this, this, this life of thanksgiving that God's called us into, a life of thanksgiving. What is the experience of the Spirit? It's this, a real-time, present experience of a deep awareness of spiritual matters in your heart that leads to deep, resilient joy. That's the experience of the Holy Spirit. What is it to walk in the Holy Spirit? What is it to experience Him and know Him? It's when your heart is awakened and becoming increasingly aware to the spiritual matters in the Bible and that leading to a deep, resilient joy in everything that you do. That's what it would look like for this heart, this church to be awakened afresh by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the other thing that He does in us is He actively gives us gifts to use in the local church. You could go through 2 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. You can look at other passages, Romans. And you can see all of these gifts that God gives individuals in the church to build them up. But this is what you need to know. When God gives those gifts, it's never about the, the one who has the gift. It's about Jesus, always. You want to know that you've experienced the, the, the spiritual gift that God has for you to use in the local church? It's not that when you stand and you share or you serve or do whatever it is that God's called you to do that people are saying, wow, you're great, Alex. It's when people are saying, wow, Jesus is good and great. And with that framework, I invite all of our church to pursue Him wholeheartedly. Pursue an experience of the Holy Spirit. Pursue Him with all of His power, with all of His greatness. And knowing this, the Holy Spirit is much more about what He wants to do in you than what He wants to do through you. This is what I mean. Spiritual gifts are not the essence of what the Holy Spirit's work is. What God does in your heart is. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 tells us clearly the fruit of the Spirit is not the gifts. The fruit is the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the faithfulness and the gentleness and the self-control that you're experiencing in your life. And when you're living out of that overflow, there is no law and there is no condemnation. There's nothing that can come against you. I invite our church, let's pursue the Holy Spirit. Let us be so Christ-centered, so fixed upon the person of Christ, that there is a tangible experience of His presence right here. That's what I hope for our church. 
If the church is the community life of the resurrected Jesus, then the church is not simply an enhancement to your life. It's not an enhancement to your life where if, if the church fails to meet your expectations, you can leave. You can go elsewhere. That's how we want to view it. That's how we want to see the church. But if the church is the community life of the resurrected Jesus, then as a Christian, the church actually informs everything else about you. The central and focal point of your life is no longer your desires and it's no longer your ambitions. And you just fit the church and the community life of the church into the margins at some level. The church is integral for you to understand who you are because ultimately as a Christian, the church and her community life is where Christ is. It's where the presence of Christ is. As I said earlier, even in light of her messiness, even in light of her, her unhealthiness at times, maybe you've developed an understanding that allows you to hold the church and her role in your life very loosely. And I would say that that, that foreign to the New Testament. We're not saved in a vacuum. We experience salvation in community. Christ came for his bride. Christ died for his people, not just an individual. And furthermore, if Luke 24 is a microcosm of the age of the church where Jesus would continue to be with us through the Holy Spirit in similar ways as is seen here in Luke 24, then it is only in the context of this community that there is a real experience of the grace of God. And I would invite you into that. What does it look like for the church to have and be marked by his presence? J.I. Packer gives us a really good framework. He says, this is what it looks like for churches to live and abide in the presence of Jesus. He says, the first thing that will happen is there will be an awareness of his presence. There will be an awareness. The second thing will be a responsiveness to his word. A responsiveness, a desire to seek it, a desire to know him. If Jesus is in our midst, the third thing he says that will happen, there will be a sensitivity to sin. Man, where the light is, the darkness cannot remain. And when Jesus is alive and with us through these rhythms of hearing the word preached, through these rhythms of coming to the table and physically receiving the elements, through these rhythms of corporate worship where the Holy Spirit comes and does what he will, sin cannot remain there. There's a sensitivity to it. The fourth thing he says is that there's a liveliness in community. Man, the people are together. They're devoted to one another. They're living with one another. They're laughing. They're crying. They're weeping. They're mourning together. They're living life together in the power of the Holy Spirit because he's here and present among us. The fifth thing he says is that there is a fruitfulness in testimony. When we share what God is doing in our life, it bears fruit. You want to know what it looks like for a church? It's living and abiding in the presence of Jesus. It's those things. We're actually going to have an opportunity in a few moments. We're going to, we're going to go par partake of the Lord's Supper, and then we're going to sing, and then we're going to have uh, a short moment of testimony. Prepare you for that now. If, if you want to share, um, we're going to do that here at the end, and you guys can come up here to this mic. Um, but we're going to go to the Lord's table now. And uh, I would encourage you guys to see that it is through the table among other things, as we come in a posture saying, come Holy Spirit, that we can know Jesus deeply. It's through the words, through the tables, through the Spirit that we know Him.
Would you respond to him in whatever way God's calling you to today? I want to end our time today. I'm going to invite the band to go ahead and come up if they want. I'm going to end our time today with this. Asking God to give us a deep awareness of his presence as he lives, moves, and leads our church in the direction that he wants us to go in. Would you join me in praying that? Jesus, God, we, we ask that you would lead our church, Lord God, into a deeper awareness of your activity. God, I pray that we would also realize and see and grasp that you are with us here, Lord. As we gather around your word, Lord, we are, you are with us here. As we go to the table, you are with us here. As we seek your face and ask that you would come, Holy Spirit, to dwell with us, you come, you hear, you answer. Psalm 65 says, Oh, you, God, who hear prayer, you hear our prayer, and you actively want us to seek you so that you may be found by us. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you would give us such a deep awareness of your presence in our lives. I pray that we would just always see our lives coram Deo in the face of God. As every moment that we live our life, you are with us. You're walking with us. The presence of the resurrected Jesus just isn't in Luke 24, but it is in Gainesville, Georgia. You're here. You're moving in our midst. And where we commit ourselves to the word, and where we commit ourselves in obedience in the ways you've called us to in the scripture, and we ask, come Holy Spirit, you are with us, Lord. Maybe there's a discouraged heart here this morning that needed to hear that, God. I pray that you would waken us up to your presence in a real way. Thank you for the scripture and for all you're doing in our church. Lord, be with us now. Come, Holy Spirit, and revive us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to uh, turn to the Lord's Supper now. And um, if you're...